You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi guys, welcome back to Not Basic Blonde podcast and this episode is very special because my guest is the famous stand-up comedian Maz Gibrani. Let's welcome him to Not Basic Blonde podcast, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. Such an honor because I've been such a huge fan for like a long time. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice to hear. That's always good to hear. Thank you. I appreciate that. How are you pronouncing that last name? Novozliolva. Novozhilova. Oh, that's cool. All right. All right. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Would you please tell our listeners about yourself, your background and career? Yeah. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian um, and uh, born in Iran. Grew up in Northern California since I was six years old. Um, and uh, basically, uh, you know, you're, what, what's, where were you born? So I was born in Eastern Ukraine, but I'm Russian, and that part of Ukraine is kind of all Russian, so I consider okay. myself so, Russian. <laughs> so I bet our parents are somewhat similar, at least, at least the cultures are somewhat similar in that, you know, parents from, you know, Iran, Russia, India, China, all those immigrant parents, they want their kids to be lawyers and doctors and engineers and things like that. Oh my God, totally, and, um, yes. <laughs> so that was a big part of my growing up and my parents pushing me in a different direction. And so your listeners, if they're listening, if they have any passions that their parents have stopped them from doing, I would encourage them to find a way to do their passion. Because I, since I was a young kid, I wanted to be a comedian like Eddie Murphy. I wanted to be an actor. And my parents kept saying, do something else, be a lawyer, be a doctor, this, that. So they kind of pushed me in a different direction. But I kept doing plays in school. I did musicals, all that stuff. And uh, long story short, I ended up starting a PhD program. I was going to become a professor in political science because my parents had kind of pushed me in this direction of doing something that's a little more, little more respectable. And uh, I dropped out of the program to pursue acting and comedy. And um, basically about 22 years ago, I decided to really go for my 
dream and uh, I've been doing it since. Wow, that's amazing. But how did you start your career as a comedian? What did you know, like the final turning point? The, the, the formula is simple. The formula is get on stage as much as you can and write as much as you can. I was, uh, I, I was in LA and I had gotten a job at an advertising agency. Uh, this is after I dropped out of my um, graduate school. And I was... And, and I was doing a play, just, just to do a play, just for a hobby, as fun. And there was an older gentleman there. Uh, his name was Joe Ryan. And Joe was, had seen some of the play that I was doing. And he said, hey, you're, you're good at this. You're funny. Have you thought about doing this professionally? And I was in my mid-20s. I said, Joe, uh, I'm going to save up some money. And when I turn 30, I'm really going to try and give acting and comedy a shot. And he goes, listen, uh, at the time, Joe was in his... 60s. He goes, I'm in my 60s. There were some things I wanted to do when I was in my 20s. And the truth is life got busy and I never got around to doing it. So he goes, if you really want to do it, do it now. So I kind of took his advice and I enrolled in a uh, improv comedy class uh, while I was still working at the advertising agency. And that led me to finding a stand-up comedy class. And the one thing I learned from the stand-up comedy class was this idea of get on stage as much as you can. So the teacher would say, you gotta get on stage five to 10 times a week. So we just did it. We were, you know, I was in my mid twenties. There was two or three other of the students who were pretty, uh, they were pretty serious about it. And so we all would uh, drive to different coffee shops and bars and, you know, I did stand up comedy in strip clubs. I did stand up comedy in church basements. Yeah, I did stand-up comedy in, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. You name it, we did it. So that's how I started it, just not saying no ever, just going, going, going. Wow, that's an amazing story. Did you have any challenges along the way? Listen, the big challenge is you're going to run into any challenge with whatever you want to do. So let's say, Olivia, you say, I want to be a, an app developer. I want to be an architect. I want to be a painter, whatever it is. The challenges are going to be after the glamour in your mind wears off, do you continue? That's the challenge. So for me, I've been a big fan of stand-up comedy. And I, and I tried my hand at a few different things. Like I said, I was going to get my PhD in political science. I was going to go, uh, originally I was going to go be a lawyer. Um, I tried a couple of sales types positions. And the difference was I really wasn't into those things. So anytime a big challenge came to me, I would stop. I would say, oh, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, I'm not into it. Comedy was different. I really loved it. So, you know, one of the biggest challenges was finding stage time. When you're starting out, they're not just going to give you the prime time slot at one of the biggest comedy clubs, right? They're going to give you, you're going to go up at, you know, one in the morning in front of three drunk people. You're going to have to go find places to get up. You're going to have to drive. Like there was times when, I remember one time I, uh, I, I was still at the ad agency, so I worked all day from nine o'clock to five or six. And then me and this other comedian, we got in the car and we drove three hours in traffic down to San Diego for me to do 20 minutes of stand-up comedy and make like $25 and get a free dinner. But that was just experience. That was just to get on stage. That was to get more stage time. And that was to get in front of audiences that didn't know me. You know, sometimes you would get in front of an audience, there was uh, nightclubs and bars and nobody was paying attention. They're all just talking and it's loud and you're on stage with a microphone and screaming and 
but that didn't discourage me because I really had found what I loved doing. So even though it was a challenge, it was, you know, I was, I would laugh at it. I was, I, I actually enjoyed the experience of being up in front of those drunk people so late because it was stories for me to tell years later, like now. Wow. How did you discover that comedy is your passion, like forever? I tell you, I was a fan of comedy as a kid. I think when I was, um, maybe nine or 10 was when I first discovered Eddie Murphy. I started watching Saturday Night Live. I would watch all of the comedy shows, Evening at the Improv. I would watch uh, the HBO specials, you name it, I would watch it, I just devoured it. So growing up for me, comedy was big. Um, baseball, I loved baseball. I loved soccer. Um, there was a handful of things that I loved doing. I loved being on stage and doing plays. So it's just a matter of finding what you really would do for free, what you did before you, you were looking to make a living. I always tell that to people because I've had people in my life who were close to me who had, weren't able, were, had lost their passion. They didn't know what it was. They were like, what, am I, what do I want to do for a living? And I would always say, hey, what did you used to do for free when you were a kid? And is there a way to find a way back into it? So for example, I have a friend of mine who was a baseball player. He was a pretty good baseball player, but he wasn't good enough to go pro. But he eventually found a way to work in sports. And now he helps with, um, you know, manage, I think, the Rose Bowl or something like that. So he's always around sports. He loves sports. So it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a professional at the thing that you love, but you can be around it. So if you love comedy, but you're a shy person maybe you're maybe you're not made to be a stand-up comedian but maybe you're made to be a writer or maybe you're made to be a producer or a, or, a, or an agent or a manager but you know for me i was just a fan and i loved being in front of people i loved laughing i loved my friends were the funniest people um and so i it was just it was simple for me it wasn't it wasn't work it was like oh i get to go and be goofy again so i'm really lucky to have found it and been able to make a living out of it yeah, that's amazing. What qualities helped you along the way to achieve your success? I think one of the biggest qualities is this idea of perseverance, of, of going and going. You know, my wife and I, we've talked about this because my son is now 11, my daughter is nine, and my son was playing club soccer. And club soccer is very demanding of these kids, like, and of the families. And you got to drive here, you got to drive there, the kids got to train, this, that, the other. And the honest truth is, upon reflection, I realized that, you know, our obsession with our kids at an age of 9, 10, 11, being so passionate, it might be a bit much in this society. I actually think it is. However, I do remember being um, in high school. And this is what I was telling my wife. I said, when I was in high school, and I was on the soccer team. We had a really good soccer team. We would train very hard. And I remember I, I really wanted to do well. So I would do stuff like, you know, we, we lived up a, up a hill in Marin. So I would jog that hill, like two miles, I would jog up that hill. And it was this perseverance. And it was this idea of training and eating right and really being focused. And if we were losing in a game, thinking that, you know, if I kept going, we might come back and win. And so that plays into it. So that I think when I started doing stand-up comedy, there was handful of guys that I started with and guys and girls and a, and a lot of them gave up they they just you know they left but for me I think this idea in my head that I was like there's no there's no op no other option I got to keep going and I just kept going and, and that's the, the the work ethic you 
have to have it. Even though comedians have a reputation of being a little slovenly and and uh, and sometimes you know all over the place, the the more successful comedians you'll see are pretty focused and they really put in the time. So I think you just got to be ready and willing to put in the time, ready and willing to take a lot of crap. You know, you'd be at the comedy store. They would say, hey, you got the 12 o'clock spot, midnight spot. So already it's late and you're getting ready to go on stage. And someone who's a celebrity comedian would come in and go, hey, I want to go next. And they would take your place. And then they go for an hour instead of doing 15 minutes. You have to sit there and wait. And then you go up at one o'clock instead of 12 o'clock. Or you go up at 145 when the club is closing at two. That's all perseverance. That's all not being jaded and going, ah, oh, screw this. I'm better than this. I'm going to go do something else. No, you're like, no, you know what? This is part of it and I'll stick to it. So I think that was a big quality. Yeah, that's amazing how you've done it. <laughs> do you write your own stand-up scripts? Yeah, all the material comes from my life and from my observations. So, um, you know, if you're a late-night uh, late TV show host, you have a team of writers and you guys are coming up with um, current event jokes all, all the time. And uh, so that's very different. Stand-up comedians, it takes us about a year, sometimes two years, to write a full hour. And then once you have that full hour, you put it in special. And then once you put that special out, it's time to write new jokes again. And it all evolves with your life. You know, I have jokes from my Brown and Friendly special, which was my first solo special, where my son was a newborn. So I have jokes about my son being a newborn baby. Um, you know, I can't 11 years later be doing jokes about my newborn baby but I do do jokes about my son almost becoming a teenager. So, you know, it's all about evolving. It's, you're kind of telling a story, you know? So it is, it's all about you telling your story. And I've had people approach me and go, hey, I got a joke, something happened to me. Maybe you can use it in your act. And I go, you know, I'll be honest with you. If it didn't come from me, it's really hard for me to do it. I mean, sure, sometimes you have a joke you're doing and another comedian friend will see you doing it in the back of the room and they'll come up to you and go, hey, you know when you say this, this, and this? What about after you say this and that? And you go, oh, that's a good way to go. Yeah, yeah, good idea. So that's called tagging a joke. So we do that all the time to each other. We'll watch each other from the back and go, hey, yeah, that joke, you should add this and that line. And that's tagging. But the material itself comes from, from us. Oh, I see. I love the one, the stand-up immigrant. Oh, my God, that one is so funny. <laughs> yeah, we had, a, we had, I think we had a Ukrainian in the the audience, right? Yaitsa. Yeah, I watched it recently again. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a fun one. It was fun because that one was fun. It was kind of, you know, a culmination. I'd always wanted to do a stand-up comedy special in Washington, D.C. I had had a chance and was lucky enough to start doing shows at the Kennedy Center, which is, um, a, you know, a very reputable place in, in, as a theater in America. And so um, that came together with Netflix saying, let's do it. And, and if you watch it, you'll see, I, you know, there is a good, diverse audience in the crowd. And, and, I, and I tried to make a point of that. You know, the point I was trying to make with that special immigrant was, you know, this was at a time when the word immigrant had, had kind of taken on a negative meaning. And I was just trying to remind people that immigrants are come to America to do good. And there's a lot of immigrants that have contributed to America. And so that's why 
I put the title immigrant on it. I put a picture of myself from when I was a kid when I first came to America. And I went around the room and asked who's here tonight. And there was people from all over. And, and that's what America is. You know, it's amazing how quickly everybody had turned on immigrants. But the fact is that immigrants are, the groundwork of America was laid by immigrants and, and it continues to be. So somebody who had just pointed out that a lot of doctors and nurses are immigrants, you know, without them, we wouldn't be getting through this pandemic in America. So just, uh, that was one of my messages of that show. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. It. it was like multicultural. But when I came here 15 years ago, it wasn't as diverse as now. And it was immigrants were not as accepted here as now. Now it's way more flexible and way more accepting. Before, it wasn't like that. Even fashion was different those days. Like it was way more Americanized than now. Yeah, I think, listen, I, I think that it just depends where you go. You know, New York City for the longest time. I've always said what's great about New York City, you walk down the street in New York, you look to your left, there's a guy with dreadlocks who's, I don't know, from you know Jamaica or something. You look to your right, there's a Puerto Rican girl. You look up the street, there's a uh, you know Hasidic Jew. You look down the street, there's an Arab. I mean, it's just like mixed. New York City has always been that, you know, or at least for the past 30-something years or so, you know. Um, and I think different places, it, it just takes time for people to get used to and accept the immigrants. Obviously, Los Angeles has been big with immigrants. I mean, the Mexican community here is huge. You know, uh, we have one of the biggest communities of Iranians outside of Iran. I mean, there's all kinds of there's, there's areas where there's a lot of Russians. So it's people getting used to it, but also I think people starting to see us in different places and categories they're not used to seeing us. So for example, when you say like, Iranian, you might think doctors or real estate or whatever. When you're living in Los Angeles, a lot of Iranians own buildings. So that's kind of like the, that's the, that's the line of work they get into. But it's good to have Iranians doing things like whether it's comedy or fashion or art or something else, you know, same thing with Russians to see you in another light, you're Ukrainian, another light, you go, oh, okay. They do other stuff. And the truth is, we've known that we always do other stuff. It's just that in America, the only way we were depicted, depending on what your background is, is a specific way. So I think it takes time. But, but I think you're right. I, I'm hoping that more and more, I mean, I think the world now is definitely, you know, the younger generations are, are a lot more open-minded and accepting of each other. I mean, I was watching... Mindy Kaling's new show on Netflix is called Never Have I Ever. And it's about an Indian girl growing up in Los Angeles and going through high school. But she's got an Asian friend. She's got a black friend who's lesbian. And then she's got, uh, it's just all over the place. There's all kinds of kids and characters and it's all accepted. It's not an issue. So that's that at least is a little... Uh, hope, hopeful for me. It, it gives me hope that, that the future will be more open, as you said, to people from all different backgrounds. Yeah, that's so true. Back to your stand-ups. How do you deal with hecklers and live stand-ups? Hecklers are interesting because different comedians have different ways. So there's some comedians who get really aggressive with a heckler. They'll start insulting them. A friend of mine said the best way to get a, a guy, if there's a guy with his wife, he said the best way to get him to shut up is to go after his wife because then the wife will, took the, will turn to the guy and say, shut up. So that's an aggressive way of going after it. I personally, I try, you know, I try to gauge the 
situation. If, if the person's really drunk and they're a fan, because sometimes they're not heckling, they're just, they think they're adding to your show and they're just really drunk. So they'll be like, oh, Buzz, everything you say, Buzz, that's fantastic, I love you. And you just got to calm them down and go, hey, man, I love you too. Let's, after the show, I'm going to do a meet and greet. I'll, I'll hug you then, but let me just get through the jokes. And th so that's kind of like a nice way of doing it. Then there's, you know, recently, because I think politics divides people, when I get into my Trump jokes, sometimes I've had Trump supporters get upset at me. And, and I just try to remind them, look, these are just jokes, you know, and that's what America's about. We should be able to make fun of our leaders, whether they're Democratic or Republican or Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. We should be able to make fun of them. And so more recently, I've started to do this thing where the reason my last tour was called the Peaceful Warrior Tour was because if they get upset and they start yelling at me because I'm there, they don't like the jokes I'm doing about Trump, let's say, I just kind of really calmly say, thank you so much for expressing your opinion. What a great country we live in where anyone can have an opinion. This is great. I totally agree with you. And right now I'm on stage. So I've only got like two or three more Trump jokes. So if you want to stay and watch, you're welcome to. If not, you can leave. Not a problem. So I really calmly, I'm like a peaceful warrior. I kind of Tai Chi it. I just let them speak their minds calmly and deflect it. And as a matter of fact, I did that at a show at a comedy club called Flappers just a few months ago. And it's on my YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash you can see the lady keeps screaming. And I just very calmly am like, oh, wow, thank you so much. And she's just getting, she keeps getting angrier and angrier. And the audience is laughing because, you know, the key is you got to have jokes in your response. So it's just, you know, that's one way to handle it. And so I've, I've learned, depending on what the cause of the heckle is, I'll come back with certain ways, you know. You try to just keep it light. Because if you get angry and you start yelling at them, it just derails the whole show. People feel your mood change and... Um, and, and, and everyone kind of goes, whoa, you know, so there's, there's different ways to deal with them. Even if you yell back, even if I yell, like if somebody goes, you suck, I might come back with like, yeah, well, you suck too. But like with a smile on my face, almost like saying like, dude, I know what you're trying to do, you know, and if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Just go. My job's hard enough without you, you know, so that's kind of some of the ways. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> Has anything embarrassing ever happened on stage? Oh, all the time. I mean, geez, um, from what you said, like early on in my career, I think I didn't know how to handle hecklers and some guy was heckling me and I didn't have any response. And it was like in front of some friends and stuff. And it was just like, oh man, I just, I just, you know, kind of lost the heckling battle there. You know, that from that to, I mean, I, there's been times I've said, I've been trying to do crowd work. Like one time I was doing crowd work with this guy in the audience and he had sunglasses on and, an, and a Dodgers, LA Dodgers hat. And I was talking to him and he just looked like he was just really, you know, just trying to act cool. Cause this is Los Angeles. People are act cool, you know? So I did my material with him and I was like, I would talk to him and it would take him a little bit of time before he would respond, but he would respond. And I was like, dude, what are you stoned? What's going on? And yada, yada, yada. After my set, I see him reach down and pick up a walking stick. He was blind. And the whole time I thought he was just trying to act cool. So I felt like an idiot. I was like, oh my God, I've been talking to a blind guy and telling him he's stoned because he's slow in responding to me. So yes, a lot of, a lot of silly stupid stuff happens all the time 
Would you, oh, you also have a podcast. Would you please tell us more about your back to school podcast? Yeah, so my back to school podcast is, it, it came from my kids asking me questions that I didn't have answers to. So, you know, when you have young kids, they ask you all the kinds of questions, you know, why is the sky the color it is and how does rain work and how does this and that and all kinds of like, you know, like, I think this is how it works. I'm not sure. So I thought rather than Googling the answer again, I would just start bringing in, what you would call it, uh, experts in different fields and have them teach us. So it's called Back to School with Maz Jobrani. I have co-hosts, Tehran and Kate. And we've had people on from all walks of life. We had a, a guy who helped land the rover on Mars. We had a lady who was a who's a cave diver. She goes deep into the into the earth and dives underneath the earth. Um, we've had entrepreneurs. We've had scientists. We've had people that are work with charities. And there's a whole bunch of them. And I think if people listen, we try to also make it funny along the way because it's part of the All Things Comedy um, Network. So if people listen, they'll see it's, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's got a lot of different uh, 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 subjects and, um, and I was just encouraged people to give it a listen. I mean, it's, and it, a lot of it is kind of like advising people on, you know, if we have someone who's an expert in a certain field, we go, how do you get into that field? You know, how do you become a comedian or an actor or a writer or a scientist or whatever it is. But, but it's, it's a, it's a, you know, easy listen, I think, and, and it's educational. So that's my back to school with Maja Brani podcast. Very interesting. Great idea behind it. Nice. Yeah, you know, everything is inspired by something, right? I mean, you, you cause yeah. if you can do a podcast, one of my friends said, he said, do a podcast where you'll be, you want to be doing it a year from now. And really that just opens up the world for me because it's not like specific to one thing. It's kind of, I bring in all kinds of different experts. I had a basketball player, you know, he plays for the Celtics. He came in and talked about being a professional athlete. I had, uh, you know, I've had authors who've written books on the internet. Um, so, you know, it really is. If someone goes to the podcast page and just scrolls through, you're bound to find a subject that you like. And then hopefully you'll dive into the other ones and just, you know, go through them. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea for Jimmy Westwood, the American hero? <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Westwood, American hero, was a movie I co-wrote with my friend Amir Ohebsian, and we produced it with my manager, Ray Mohit. And um, that was, you know, I was a big fan of the Pink Panther movies with uh, Peter Sellers from the 70s. Uh, as a kid in Iran, I was really young, but I remember seeing some of those and I loved them. And then when I came to America, I think I watched some more. And the whole movie of Pink Panther is he's a bumbling idiot, Inspector Clouseau. So I wanted to make a movie about a bumbling idiot who's of, uh, you know, an Iranian guy who saves the day and he's bumbling. And so I decided, you know, we wrote this movie called Jimmy Westwood, American Hero. We co-wrote it. We did crowdfunding to raise the money. We filmed it. And then we distribute it. And it came out a few years ago. It's available on Apple and Amazon and all those places now. And it's just a silly comedy. If people are in a mood for a silly movie and they're not going to be judgmental, it's a fun, silly movie to watch, you know, hour and a half. It's got some funny laughs. And, uh, and it, was just a, it was a great experience to just make your own project and just get it done and put it out there. So that was... Uh, yeah, that was a good experience. I really, I really was, uh, 
I always tell people, I say, create your own opportunities. And that was one of those things of just creating our own opportunity, you know? The movie was very funny. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, I tell you, I, I think when we wrote it, we wrote it for people who were willing to go and watch it and have a silly point of view. Because like a lot of young people, you know, 11-year-old, 12-year-olds, they would watch it and they're just silly and they're laughing, you know? And then you had like some older adults who might watch it and say, oh, you know, that's... Uh, wasn't very appropriate you know well, you know it's a silly movie it's a silly comedy so just kind of like adam sandler movies or like uh austin powers or whatever it's kind of in that world this is very silly slapsticky you know yeah what was yeah. the memorable moment in your career so far like the most memorable moment gosh i mean you know i've been lucky i've had a lot of memorable moments i will say two that happened uh the past few years were um one was that when the Obamas were in the White House, they had a um, celebration for Persian New Year because they were doing, they were reaching out to different communities, Iranian American community, Greek American, Arab American, all these different communities. And they were saying, the White House is your house. It's not our house. So come celebrate your events here with us. So we got a chance to do a Persian New Year event in the White House and Michelle Obama was there. And before she came up, they had me go on that famous podium and kind of give a five minute speech slash stand up. And then I introduced Michelle Obama. So that was a life highlight. Uh, and I would say that another one that happened right around the same time was uh, I got a chance a year later in 2017 to give the commencement speech at UC Berkeley where I graduated in front of about 45,000 people. And that was also a career and life highlight. Those are two big ones, I would say. Um, it's just amazing. I think in life, if you're lucky enough to find what you love doing and you do it, there's no guarantees. But at some point, you may find yourself doing what you wanted to do in front of the people and things that you thought were your heroes. And now all of a sudden you're doing it with them and you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So yeah, li life can be very uh, surprising in that way. Yeah. It feels so rewarding when you actually do it with the heroes after when you used to look up to them before. Yeah. What do you think about the whole coronavirus pandemic? Gosh, this has been a tough time. It really has been. It's been, um, you know, it, it, we saw it coming in a way, but we're also shocked about it. I was just thinking about this last night because in la end of last year, I did a big tour in the Middle East, like towards um, end of November and into December. And um, I remember, I think right around then, I think coronavirus was starting to break out in China. And, and I, I didn't never thought that two, three months later, we would be on this kind of lockdown and the economy would be completely ruined and all this. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of debates, people debating what's the cause. Was it a bat in a market, in a wet market? Was it, a, was it from a lab? What was it? And the truth is, at this point, you know, we, we may never know. I, I read an article that said that they try, there are these people who try to go back and find the source. And you just, sometimes you still don't, don't figure it out. And so, regardless of if we do or not, I think we need to just you know, listen to scientists, you know, I get very frustrated when I hear people saying, you know, they, they, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. So people say, oh, these scientists are doing it because they're doing, you know, Bill Gates is trying to get vaccination and 
be a, you know, run the world. Um, my answer is, well, he's already running the world. Like what, how much more does he want to run the world? You know, these, these conspiracy theories or people say, oh, it's because the um, 5G network or something. I mean, there's all kind. I think people need explanations for things. And I think sometimes in life, things just happen. I mean, this happened. It's a serious virus. It's, it, you know, people keep comp comparing it to the flu and car accidents and all that stuff. And they go, we don't stop driving because of all these car accidents. I go, well, because a car accident isn't as contagious as this thing. This is very contagious. It's very unknown. So we just got to trust the science. I mean, at a certain point, you got to trust the science. You got to be, you know, be safe. And look, I, I would love to go back to doing stand-up comedy in front of an audience, but unfortunately that's going to take some time still. So we have to adapt. I did a comedy show just last Saturday into my computer and then I posted it on my YouTube channel. People can go to my youtube.com slash Maz and watch me do a stand-up comedy in a little closet room in our house. And um, it's all about coronavirus and how we're going through our lives trying to not shake hands and all this stuff and just trying to adapt and and i know that it's hard on a lot of people because a lot of people lost jobs and they're dying to go back to work and um i can only hope that we get there sooner than later and, and i hope that this vaccine is found sooner than later my hope is you know they're saying a vaccine will take a year and a half or so my hope is that they're that they're giving a longer date timeline so that Hopefully, when they find it sooner, people can celebrate. That's my hope. And in the meantime, you know, you're in Atlanta. I'm in California. And I look kind of with horror sometimes when I see what seems like an opening up of places a little too fast, you know, because as much as I want people to be careful and wear masks and keep six feet distancing, I think some people just don't abide by those rules. So, gosh, it's a... It's a tough situation, but I would just, you know, I, I actually interviewed somebody from my podcast yesterday and it's going to hopefully air. It'll air soon. Um, he said something that was very interesting. He, he's a guy who's been studying conspiracy theories. Why do people believe conspiracy theories? And I said, well, what's your advice to people? Because it's, it's a little confusing sometimes. You go, what's real and what's not real? And he goes, listen, the same way we're trying to make an effort not to spread the virus itself you should make an effort to try to not spread false information. So if somebody sends you a video or somebody sends you an article and you're not sure about it, he says, spend five minutes just doing a little research on Google to find out if this is a real thing, if this is a fake thing, if there's a reason why the person put out what they put out. You know, a lot of people right now are accusing Dr. Fauci of, trying to get rich off of this whole thing and he has some vaccine company he's working with and this and that and really it's like okay let me google it and find out what the research from reliable sources is saying and then i can decide if i want to spread this to all my friends or not so i would just urge people to be a little careful about just forwarding stuff without really researching it you know because that does damage too it makes people you know, go off and drink disinfectant because they think that that's going to save them, you know, so. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I've heard about those videos and I've received some from my friends, 30-minute like videos from YouTube, but some of them were in Russian too because they have like so many material about it, but I don't ever believe it till I actually know if it's a reliable source. Otherwise, I don't trust it. It's yeah, listen, all the communities, my mother gets stuff 
from the you know from Telegram, which is a Russian uh, app, but uh, but a lot of Iranians use it. So my mom gets stuff from there. You know, there was some early on. There was some Iranian, like famous Iranian singer or somebody who was saying like, you if you put uh, if you put a blow dryer in your like towards your mouth, it, it the heat will kill the germs. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And now, like I said, this whole thing of like people, you know. I think people are very divided and they want to believe what they want to believe. So I have a friend of mine, some of my friends are very smart, educated, and they're hardcore Trump supporters and they won't listen to any kind of possible criticism of Trump. So if you say, oh, hydroxychloroquine hasn't been proven yet, they go, no, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to bring down Trump. And I go, no, I would love for hydroxychloroquine to be the answer. I want it to be the answer. It'd be great if it works. But we do need to do tests before we can have everybody use it, because from what I'm reading, there's also damage that can be caused. And so you get into this debate with people, and ultimately, I kind of err on the side of believing the experts. And so some of my friends say, no, you're naive for being like that, and you know these guys are trying to control us, this, that, the other. And I just, you know, it, it kind of, I, I feel like once they put their foot into that water of conspiracies, it starts to fill up fast and they start drowning in it pretty fast. So it's, it's sad to, to see your friends go that route because then they are the types who say, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to social distance. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then God forbid they get it and then it's too late. Yeah. I see some people in stores that don't even wear a mask. They're just like walking by and I'm like trying to like stay away. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, like I said, who are um, who are skeptical, and in being skeptical of it, they uh, they end up endangering other people. I mean, that's the problem. It's like you know, it's the thing of like, look, if you want to live in your own world and don't believe it, fine. But when it comes to things like vaccines or it comes to things like an illness like this, you can affect other people, and we've seen it. We've seen people do that, and so it's. Um, it's a little bit, it's, a, it's, it's careless. And it's careless from the top, by the way. You know, that's why when, when President Trump doesn't, when Trump doesn't, uh, uh, you know, wear a mask or doesn't say, hey, keep, you know, whatever he's got to say, there's a lot of people who jump on board and they go, well, he's the leader. He said he didn't say anything about it. Or he encouraged us to liberate Michigan, liberate such and such. That means we should go open up these stores. Well, no you know, he's not following the science. And so it's really got to come, you know, his words influence people. And I've, unfortunately, he's someone who does not take responsibility for his words. So I'm always constantly shaking my head, you know, I don't know what to say. I totally feel you on this one. Are you working on any new projects? Any new movies are coming up anytime soon? You know, we're always trying trying to develop TV show ideas. I had a TV show that was uh, being developed last year and, un and unfortunately none of the networks uh, bought it, uh, but we developed it. And then in the meantime, I'm developing now, I'm trying to develop another show, trying to develop a couple of things, uh, you know, for right now for the COVID-19 lockdown, I'm thinking of maybe taking that stand-up show I did, I called it Maz in the House and maybe doing weekly shows for now and having other comedians on, you know, in the house with Maz and having other comedians on. So that would be, you know, entertainment for now for, for people that are on lockdown. And it would be a chance for 
comedians to perform until comedy clubbing up, you know? I'm also trying to do a um, project uh, we're calling Saturday Night Wine, which is where we have comedians and, and winemakers come together and do like a little quiz show and you learn about the wine and get a laugh and, and that's that. And so yeah, and then hopefully my, I, sh I filmed a comedy special in Dubai in December. Uh, it's, it's called Peaceful Warrior. It's from the Peaceful Warrior tour. So I'm hoping to have that out this summer. But in the meantime, again, if people wanted to see some comedy related to what's going on now, if they go to youtube.com slash Mazjobrani, they'll find it there. Nice. That's interesting. What is your favorite joke? Can you improvise something for us? Gosh, there are so many. I mean, you know, my jokes are all stand-up. So stand-up is different from joke telling. So you know, but, but having kids, we've, we've come up with like silly little jokes for each other, like dad jokes. So one joke I was telling the kids, I said, what's a good night for a fish to go out? What? Tuna night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My daughter wrote one. She's nine years old. She wrote one and said, uh, where do rappers go to shop for clothing? Where? Jay-Z Penny. <laughs> well, that's, that's better cool. than mine, right? Yeah. Yeah. My nephew gave me one that he'd heard some friend of his had told him. He said, what do you call money in outer space? What do you call it? Money in outer space. Starbucks. <laughs> and then a joke this guy told me that I thought was pretty funny. Um, he said, uh, a guy goes to a doctor. The doctor says, I got some good news. I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? He goes, oh, well, tell me the good news first. He goes, um, the good news is you have two days left to live. And then the guy's shocked. He goes, oh, my God. If that's the good news, then what's the bad news? He goes, the bad news is I was supposed to tell you yesterday. Oh, my so God. That means he's only got one day left. <laughs> Those are all good. You know, but my stand-up is not jokes. You know, people should go online and yeah. again on my YouTube channel or on Netflix and watch my specials. That's probably the best way to see stuff. Yeah, and where can our listeners find you? Like your social handles and your well, website? social. It's all at Maz Jobrani, M-A-Z-J-O-B-R-A-N-I. I'm very active on on uh, Instagram, so people should follow me there. Twitter, all that. And then uh, I've been doing a daily show at 4 p.m. L.A. time, usually doing just like a catch up of stuff. But again, all my clips and stuff they can find on YouTube.com slash They can subscribe there and follow me there. And uh, then my Netflix special is on uh, Netflix. It's called Immigrant. They can find that. And then I've got a bunch of stuff on iTunes, Amazon. They put my name in. All that stuff comes in. They can just binge watch Maz Jobrani. Nice. Thank you so much, Maz. It was fun. Thank you for being Thank like us. That was all for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening Not Basic Blonde podcast. And you can always find me on Instagram. It's Not Basic Blonde underscore or NBB podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Enjoy your day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.